Last week we, we dove into the subject and, and I, we, we got into the idea of the warning. And, and I just took the passages and I, I went from passage to passage to passage talking about what God has warned us about our flesh, what God has warned us about things that we can't handle. And uh, we're, I'm going to illustrate a lot today, probably the most that I've illustrated in, in, in a message before. So can, can you guys all see that? All right. Can you all see this? I, I want you to be able to see what we're talking about today. So this is, this is the first drink. I, I want to have something as we talk about it. So kind of the argument that a lot of people have when it comes to this, it's all right to start here as long as you don't get too far. And, and that's kind of the thing that a lot of people debate. So what I kind of screamed out last week is the Bible says about this one thing, Dealing with the subject of alcohol, we're not talking about drinking tea and water and coffee and those things. The Bible is very specific when it talks about the warning of wine and strong drink in the Bible. So I think it started over here. And I was just saying, hey, listen what the Bible says about this, about the warnings about it. And people have this big debate that they like to talk about. The Bible is okay with drinking as long as it's in moderation. As long as you don't take it too far, as long as you keep control of it, as long as it doesn't control you, then it's okay. And we read the warnings about it. It can control you. It strikes like a serpent. The Bible says it is likened unto an adder, which is a viper with its sting, the sting representing the poison. The nature of it is to strike you, to get into your system like a viper stingeth. And for it to affect you. And not all, always at one time. And not even in ways that you can understand. We have this warning. Because alcohol is addictive and controlling in its nature. It's why we have so many problems in our nature caused by alcohol. And we went through all that last week as well. When I study the Bible we read. that the things of God edify. I mean I, I could go through the list. You name it. You talk about church. Discipline, music, worship, Bible reading, discipleship, and, uh, uh, evangelism, bus ministry. I label it. I'll just go through it, list it out, put it on a whiteboard. Screams out. The more you do the things of God, the stronger it is. I'm not going to go up to you and say, you need to limit your prayer life. You know, how much did you read? Don't overread. Then all of a sudden we get into this thing, and, and then all of a sudden we, we pull the brakes on it. The things of God build you up, make you stronger, allow to build the home, build the church, build the man of God. Build leaders. Then we read, on the flip side of the, the effects of alcohol, and I do not see the fingerprints of edification one time. Not one time. We'll all agree that getting drunk is a sin. That's probably the, the one thing that Christians, and I, I, I pray that I'm talking to Christians today, and it's probably that aspect that everyone would stand up and say, you got me there, I, I stand with you. But today we're mainly going to study the, the issue of getting drunk, hammered, to lose control, to be intoxicated. Today we will dwell mainly, and I will ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to go through this verse, this passage, these two verses, and pick them apart Lay it out and ask God to teach us. If you notice, we have big time shrunk the beginning of our service of what things that we normally do for the sole purpose of being able to 
Uh, and we don't do this all the time, but I, I, I feel like that this needs time given to it. And so that's, that's why we're doing this. And the Lord just worked it out that way, and I, think, I, I feel like it was of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, I beg of you, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Man, I, I can't wait to get into that as we get into the, the, the will of the devil will always be for you to get to the point to lose understanding. He, he, he lied to Eve in the garden. He twisted what God said and manipulated it for her to fall into a trap. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. God, I asked, Lord, that you will pour out like never before, an outpouring of the Spirit of God as we dive into, Lord, not a message about alcohol, but a message about you. And Lord, how simply we have, we have accepted, Lord, a cheap substitute. Lord, that has done nothing but hurt. And the devil has put so many labels on it, but Lord, help us to be able to rip it back and see it for what it is, to understand, Lord, that the devil is working. He's got tools. We should not be ignorant of the devices that he uses. Lord, that we can be wise and walk in wisdom, to walk in light and not to stumble. We pray this in your name. Amen. Many will come out and say, see right here. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Be not drunk with wine. This passage is not about alcohol, but about being controlled with the Spirit of God. Jesus uses this as a powerful comparison. There's not many things in the world that God could have, that Jesus could have set on the table and said, here's two options. Let me explain to you the desire, the will of the Father. And then he stands before a bunch of people that were saved and changed and were in the world, and he said, man... Here is an illustration that you guys understand. And that is the subject of being drunk with wine. And you guys know what that means to be consumed and hammered and controlled by that. But he said, man, I give you a new way of life. And he explains that and he pulls that out of this. And he makes this comparison of two powerful things that are meant both to control, consume, and make you addicted and make you want to come back. Let me pause for a minute now. We will come back to this point right here, I promise, which will be the main thrust of this. But many say that the Bible <clears throat> condemns getting drunk, but supports the view of drinking in moderation. The way that the world puts it, they put it, drink responsibly. Know your limits. Know how, or I'm able to hold my liquor. <clears throat> many Christians take the same view, saying I enjoy a beer or two, or I enjoy some champagne, or I like to sit down in that setting and be able to sit and enjoy that. I'm a social drinker. But they'll come back over and over again and say, I know when to stop. I'm not like these other guys. I have my limits. I draw the line in the sand. I know what I'm doing. I'm not that guy. First of all, let me tell you that every person that ever has become an alcoholic started with that same phrase. Nobody jumps in and says, today I'm going to be a raging alcoholic. That's my vision. Nobody's ever walked to the pulpit at a graduation service and says, well, I want to graduate and be an alcoholic. You know, it just doesn't happen. 
Let's begin with the word wine in this passage. As we examined last week, the word wine is used as a generic term related everything to grape juice. And we, we showed different verses where it talked about referenced it on the vine and in the press. And that it used the same word side and side with strong grapes or strong drink and the word juice and different things that we looked at last week. But it means alcohol or grape juice or could even mean grapes themselves. In the Old Testament, there were three words that were translated wine. The different words mean an intoxicated, fermented wine. Another word meant fresh grape juice. The other word means intoxicated or intensely alcoholic or strong drink, as we often read it. The New Testament, translated from the Greek, uses the word wine, both fermented and unfermented. And the two words are oinos, which means the generic word for fermented or unfermented. And there's different passages that support that. But then there's a second one which means sweet wine or fresh juice. But when we read it in our Bibles, we come across the word wine, W-I-N-E. And all of a sudden we get to something like the, the passage where Jesus turned the water into wine. And they say, well, if Jesus would do it, then obviously it's okay. I could take an entire service on that one passage. If you were to study the, what the Firkins were, how much booze they had, if you're going to label that as booze. And the fact that we'll sit there and say, God's not about drunkenness. God will never lead us to be drunk. Moderation. They ran out of booze. The Lord tells them, or Mary tells them, fill all these water pots. This is not even in, in my notes for today. I'm just kind of getting it. Fill all these up. And the Bible says when they had well drunk, they ran out. Then Jesus comes back with six, is it six water pots? And it gives the description of these water pots and comes in there. If God is against and God is for moderation and says do not do in excess, why would Jesus, if that was alcoholic, when they had already well drunk and ran out, would Jesus show up with enough wine to get everybody there hammered? And then to turn around and ask the question, why would he condemn it in the Old Testament and use his first miracle to condone it in the New? Well, I can explain that because the, Jesus was not sitting there making alcoholic beverage. After deeper study of the various types of wines, I learned the wine that was consumed in biblical times is not at all all what we understand of wine today not at all we are not comparing apples to apples let me go back to our, our line here we could talk about this side of it i'm not even coming to the first drink of alcoholic beverage we get in the bible where it does talk about the fresh grape juice many 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 uh, if you study the greek where it has that world over here that explains those things if you were to step into even strong drink in the Bible, <clears throat> you would only come to about right here in comparison to what we have today. Let me explain. We are not comparing apples to apples. You cannot defend wine drinking today based on the wine drinking in the Bible because they are totally different, even in the context of alcohol itself. It is like reading in the Bible and, and trying to compare it today and saying, and they went on a far journey. In Bible days, for them to go on a far journey would mean that they would get on a, a, a donkey or walk or get on, you know, a, a camel or something like that. The travel 50 miles could take them five days. 
we could go 500 miles in one hour. You see, we're not comparing apples to apples of what we have today, even in our terminology of drink one, you're okay. You go back to the Bible days of even how they manufactured what was done, every aspect of it does not even compare to going down to the 7-Eleven and buying what's on the shelf today. Not even possible. Back then, compared to today, much different. What would it explain, breaking this down? Here's the science behind it. Strong drink and alcoholic drink in the Bible. The strength of natural wines is limited by two factors. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a scientist, so don't come asking me questions. I researched this. Tell you the facts. I'm going to regurgitate them to you. The percentage of alcohol will have to be half a percentage of the sugar that's in the juice is the science of it. So let me explain. If the sugar content in alcohol was 20%, the alcohol content in it would be 10%. Say, so why? what is different than that today? Well, now we have granulated sugar. You have these factories. What do they do? They mass produce the granulated sugar. They put it in these vats. They have the chemical process of it to raise the alcohol level scientifically of what it would not naturally be able to do by itself. So back in the Bible days, even when they would press it, the maximum level that they could get to in ancient times was 7 to 10% of the alcohol level of what was in the grapes by natural process of the sugar level that was in it. And this is something that I'm not just pulling from a Bible commentary. You can go research this anywhere. That's just the scientific side of what this is. Next, the Jewish people would mix their fermented wines with at least three to one water ratio. If they had, even at the strongest, not concentrated, the 7 to 10 percent alcohol content, what normally would relate to 7.5 to 2.5 alcohol level of what they would have by natural processing, not, not by factories, Anheuser-Busch, all the other things that we have today. They did not have that. I'm talking about take some grapes, squish them, put them in a barrel, do all the things that they had just within the limited resources they had of the time. Today, even to be labeled as alcoholic, it has to reach a level of 3.5. Even their alcohol back in the day would not even reach the level of what we have today. It's not even apples to apples. Not even comparison. And I'm talking about this side of the cone. I'm not talking about this side of it. I'm talking about if you're going to step into the realm of saying, woohoo, I believe you can drink, you are not comparing apples to apples of what we see in the Bible. Much different. The chemical science forbids fermentation to heat, has to exceed or cannot exceed 75 degrees, which was back in. Uh, the Bible days, even at night, blew that out of the water, which meant that they could not even have mass-produced it, even if they wanted to, even if they had the scientific without being able to cool it the way that we are able today. The more I read this and everything, I was thinking, you can just take science alone and understand this. That is much, much different. What an alcoholic drink in the Bible days, even in large amounts, and that's why we would sit there and you say, why it had such a low alcohol level compared to what we'd have, that's why when it says tarry not at the long or long at the wine, they would have to go an extreme amount of time to even get what one person could get today by cracking open one beer and sitting down with it. Much, much different. I don't think that any of this is by accident because I believe it is how Satan works. 
He likes to take something from the Bible that God has said and then he twists it as a weapon and he uses it from generation to generation to generation. He did this with Eve in the garden and he's still doing this today. Let's go back to our verse. Be not drunk with wine. My first question is, what is drunk? I I could ask that question to everybody here today and, and, and try to get a, a raise of hands and say, take me to the Bible. And me and Pastor Joe and the other pastors, I'd go into their office and say, all right, if I am going to plead this case of not getting drunk, because drunk obviously is a sin, I have to know what this line is in order not to cross it. Now, all of a sudden, we're sitting there scratching our heads. The Bible doesn't say 16 ounces. doesn't say 8 ounces. Depends on the fermentation, the amount of sugar level in it, what they had, da 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 da, da all these other things. So let, let's say if, the, if I put a scale on here of ounces across here, we, we would have to sit there and one person would say, well, I feel like getting drunk would be two beers. The next guy would be, no, I believe it's three beers. No, I believe I could get a buzz off one beer. You know what? I could drink a six-pack. And You know what we have done? Because we have to, in order not to sin, I have to know where the line is drawn. Because the Bible just says, be not drunk, right? I'm playing the devil's advocate if you guys haven't figured this out yet. Because here I am. I'm a Christian. I'm zealous. I want to honor God. I want to please him. I believe, oh, thank God, I can drink. I just need to drink in moderation. Now that I'm in this world, I don't want to sin. 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 Step back and go, wait a minute. Where is the line to be drunk? Did you know even our world doesn't even define it? They, they just turned around and said, D-U-I, driving under the influence. You have been influenced, and I could preach the whole message just on that. You have been influenced under the influence of something else other than you. I need, I'm asking you because I want to go out and get drunk. Or, no, I don't want to get out and drunk and get drunk. I, I just want to drink. So, dear God, help me, help me to know where the line is. We, we all agree on that. So, we, we take this and we know what the Bible is trying to say uh, of doing that. I, I, I'm trying to sit there. I'm tr- sat down and thought, all right, what, what if I agreed with them? Let, let's say I agree and I say moderation. Because moderation is somewhere between there and there. Just tell your kids that. Just tell them. Moderation, son. What is that, dad? Somewhere between there and there. Thank you, dad. So let's dive in this. You believe it's in moderation that we need to break this down. So if the Bible doesn't break it down and say and define what it is, then today, let's go to science Let's go to the world, and we'll ask the world that studies this out because they have to make laws about it. It's sad that we have to allow the world to define this. So we must define drunkenness. Today it is measured by the B 
BAC, blood alcohol content. For example, if your blood alcohol content measures 0.08, then you are legally driving under the influence. Driving under the influence means that you are illegal to drive. It's 0.08. Now here's the thing. 0.08 is not defining drunk. It's defining under the influence. So I just want you guys to understand that. So even if that is drunk, there is now another mystery legal line that you have to find between there and here. Because you have to obey the laws of the land. I could have brought out another cone here, and now we're doing that. And I'm playing in the world here. I want to understand, all right? If we're going to play in this world, help us to have understanding in this world of what it's talking about. So if you're driving under the influence of this, which means to say that you, you can walk, you could probably function, you can probably talk, but they're going to see if you can touch your nose, stand on one foot, and walk in line. Then they're going to stick the thing in you and see if you can pass the breathalyzer test. So we're going to get this out, all right, because I want to know. I want you guys to grab your calculator, and then we're going to go drinking together, okay? And this is going to be awful on the CD, <laughs> I want to know how to calculate your blood alcohol level. You start with your age, your gender, your race, your physical condition, which means your weight and fitness level, the amount of food that you consumed before you started drinking, how quickly the amount of alcohol was consumed, the use of drugs or prescription while drinking the alcohol, and the volume of water that is present in your body. Next, you need to pick your poison and understand what you're drinking. 12-ounce beer equals a half an ounce of alcohol. A 5-ounce glass of wine equals a half ounce of alcohol. One and a half ounces of a shot of distilled spirits, which is more concentrated alcohol, equals a half ounce of alcohol. You guys got it? We don't want to sin. I don't think you have it yet. Josh, can you play the first video? Step one. Pick your poison. The first step in determining your BAC is knowing the alcohol content of your drink of choice. You also need to know what determines a standard drink. Beer is usually 4% alcohol, but this varies depending on the type of beer. Your best bet is to check the label. One drink of wine is measured as 5 ounces. This includes white, red, rosé, and champagne. One drink of hard liquor is measured as 1.5 ounces, or one shot of liquor, which contains 40% alcohol. Remember, some drinks are made with even stronger potency, like 151 proof rum or grain alcohol. Hard liquor will send your BAC spiraling up faster than beer or wine. Step two, weighing your options. Calculating your BAC depends on your gender and your weight. Alcohol is absorbed differently by men and women, but women be wise. When it comes to staying sober longer, men definitely have the advantage. Their bodies handle it better, and men typically weigh more than women. For instance, a 180-pound man who has had four drinks will have a BAC of 0.08. In the same hour, his 120-pound female friend needs only two drinks to reach the same BAC of 0.08. They're both legally drunk, but she got there with half the amount of alcohol. Charts available online can help you judge how much you can drink before you're considered intoxicated. Step three, time will tell. As the night drags on and you consume drink after drink, the hours will have an effect on your BAC. 
As a general rule, subtract .015 from your total BAC for each hour that passes since your first drink. Our 180-pound man who's had four drinks has a BAC of .08. If he waits for one hour, his BAC may drop to .065 and he's legal to drive. But you should always keep in mind that there are many factors involved in a person's reaction to alcohol. Your BAC can be affected by hereditary factors, medication, metabolism, hormonal factors, and the amount of food in your stomach. Knowing how to calculate your blood alcohol level can help you to become a responsible drinker so that you can learn to pace your drinks and not get plastered. That way you can keep yourself and anyone near you safe and sound. Responsible drinker. I am going to be a responsible drinker. Calculator in hand. I've calculated the amount of food that I've had. I weighed myself upon getting here. I know what my body index compared to my fat value is. Mainly made of muscle. That's right, Pastor Joe. I, I figured out my age, how much I'm drinking, and I know that I don't want to even get close to sin. Amen? Not even getting close. The Bible says to abstain from sin. See, I'm, I've been preaching this is sin. And, 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 I, and I will define that. And then we're over here, and a lot of people this. So once we get into here, since, since we're going to blur that line here and say that it's somewhere in here, then we have to calculate it. Can I ask a question since I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm a novice and I'm trying to learn this. Let's just call .08 what that legal driving under the influence is according to the world is being drunk. And I don't know what that equals as amount to drink or whatever because it all depends on you. What you've done, blah, 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 all the factors that go into it. If I only have .04, am I half drunk? Am I half drunk? Oh, no. If I'm half drunk, I'm half sinning. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm cool with a quarter drunk. Because that's only a quarter sin. And I'm sure God's okay with quarter sinning a whole lot more than half sinning or three-quarter sinning, right? Because it's being drunk that's a sin. So, you guys, I hope you're taking notes because we're trying to develop responsible drinkers here. All right, but if this is the line, then is it 0.79 okay? Because 0.08 is that. But then what if I drank 0.079 and I accidentally licked the glass on my way out? Did I just fall into sin? I, I, I know you're sitting there going, he is being stupid. He is not. No, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure it out. Because I discovered something. This is the first sin ever that's on a sliding scale. Everything else that God says, fornication, everything that he says, do not kill. Do not lie. Do not commit a false witness. Do not, do not. This one's okay. You just need to have the scales out. Just don't tip it too far. It's the first sin. You just think I'm being facetious. No, I'm just burning out with this. I can no longer preach the message that sin is sin to God. I can't. Because now I just figured out one that's possibly to be able to be defined as a half sin. Say, none of this is an issue with me, Pastor Tony. I have a brain. 
I draw the line way back here. It's called moderation. It's called mellowing out with a beer. It is called, you know, you're getting over here and you're t- right, you, you, you tip the scale somewhere in here. You tip the scale, all that stuff. Here's the thing. I'm in control. I know my limits. I'm not like these other guys. I, I, I've drank my whole life. I know when to stop. I know what it's that. I believe in moderation. I enjoy it. It's all good. And I could not figure out why is it that so many start this way, good people start this way, and end up so messed up when it comes to alcohol. Why and how do eventually they lose control? And I think it's better that a doctor would explain this. Go ahead, Josh. In the short term, when you drink, the bits of the brain that we most affected are actually the frontal lobes. They're the bits that allow you to make judgments, the bits that allow you to say no the bits where you stop and think, they're actually turned off by alcohol. So when you're drinking, even at normal levels, and certainly if you're intoxicated, those normal judgment parts of the brain will be affected. You know, I think what happens when people drink is your judgment starts to get impaired. And you think, I've had a couple drinks, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. I can handle my liquor. He's a lightweight, not me. I can handle it, right? So there's that that overconfidence people have, and they they lose judgment. Alcohol affects the entire brain. It is a nerve toxin that destroys brain tissue. The higher and more frequent the dose of alcohol, the greater the damage. But what is actually happening inside your brain when you drink? The cerebral cortex controls your thinking, emotions, and decision-making capabilities. When alcohol hits, it inhibits your ability to think clearly. It also affects the five senses and elevates negative emotions. The cerebellum controls your coordination and movements. Under the influence, your ability to walk or drive is impaired. Maybe 20% is absorbed early on, and then into your small intestine, 80% more of that alcohol is going to get absorbed. Here's the thing. Once it's absorbed into your bloodstream, very quickly it can travel up to your brain. That's when you get that buzzed feeling, that happy feeling that you may get after a drink or two. Alcohol also inhibits the excitatory pathways of the brain, so everything slows down. When we drink alcohol, it excites the limbic system. The limbic system is responsible for pleasure, learning, emotion, motivation and survival. At the same time, it reduces the ability of the prefrontal cortex to do its job of making good decisions, planning and thinking about the consequences of actions. By exciting the limbic system and switching off the prefrontal cortex, alcohol makes us more emotional and impulsive. When we drink, significantly more dopamine is released by the limbic system. That's the chemical in the brain that makes us feel good. When you keep drinking, the brain makes you believe the big release of feel-good chemicals is normal. This makes you want more alcohol to keep feeling good. Blood alcohol concentrations affect your judgment. And why this often happens is because, innocently enough, you may start off, have a drink, and you're starting to feel relaxed. Your intensification of mood. Then you're getting a little sedation. This is where you start to wonder, you know, driving may not be such a smart idea. Maybe after two or three drinks, you're starting to get impaired motor skills. 0.08 in many places is an illegal level of uh, blood alcohol concentration as far as DUIs. So things are beginning to be impaired. And you want to know why. Everyone always wonders, why is it so hard to say no after you've had one or two drinks? 
because the frontal lobe mm -hmm. that is the one that says, okay, make good decisions, <laughs> kind of wipe it out a little bit yeah. after that first drink. That's why it's like, oh, I'll have another one. It's why people also make bad decisions. They drive while intoxicated. Okay, we're learning. Not, we're backing up the Bible with science. You know what the doctor said? You know why people begin to make bad decisions after the very first drink? Because alcohol, in its nature, goes to the part of your brain that shuts down the very first thing that it does is it shuts down your ability to make wise decisions. It's not, I, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here and goes, man, he got a verse and he's going to stand on that. No, I, I'm trying to plead my case of understanding. When you see what the Bible says, warning and screaming against, and you say, Why? This didn't hurt. God's saying you're not understanding what you are doing. You are training your brain. You are substituting. You are implanting in your body something that you should not have. They said the reason why a lot of people get to that point where they cross over and they begin to have more than one drink, the thing is alcohol. And you say, I can stop. I can stop. The very nature of alcohol cuts the brake line to your will. All of a sudden you get on this side of it and you're thinking, man, I, I, I didn't mean to get that drunk. I didn't mean to do that. The Bible says this in Proverbs 25 verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. We were never created by God to ever cross a line to relinquish control to anybody or anything outside of God. Man. Never. We're going we're gonna to finish the whole message with that, but let me keep going on this. This is why people make bad decisions. Did you get that over and over and over and over again? Every one of them unanimously said the same thing. The Bible says, be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise because our wisdom, when we try to figure things out and we're not controlled by God, when we try to figure things out, it says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. See, the, the Bible is filled with things that support this, sub-issues around this. See, the Bible says God will never lead us to temptation to fall or to fail. He has not camouflaged the lines. He has not put somewhere in there and God says, all right, step in that arena, just don't fall. And we sit there and say, I don't know where the line is. God has never blurred the lines with sin. God has never done that. Psalms 119, 104. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. Understanding in my brain. I get understanding. You know what understanding is? To be able to process right from wrong. Through what God gives me, I have, through God, the ability to have understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. My goodness, man. Is this sinking into anybody else okay as you get this? I hate every false way. When, that, when the scientists, when the doctors define and said, you cross over here, you begin to lose understanding. You begin to lose wisdom. 
Doctor said, from the very first drink, and I'll explain the reason why. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Because God does not want me to stumble, to fall, to fail. So he's given me a light to go by. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not what they stumble. Reminds me of this once again. The line is somewhere in here. But I don't know what it is. Well, just use science. Pull out your calculator. How much do you weigh? How much have you had? All this. Think, what? You won't find that in here. The Bible says they don't know what, it, what they stumble. They're trying to figure it out. Proverbs 3.23, Then shalt thou walk in the way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. See, the thing, God always brings clear direction and wisdom. God always brings clear direction and wisdom. The Bible says that God will never bring confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, but of peace, as in all the church, our churches of the saints. See, I, I want to remind you guys that there are two parts of you. There will be till the day that God takes you home. They both seek to control you. It's the flesh and the spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, this passage goes much deeper than the issue of, of alcohol, Okay. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay? You sit there and say, my, my, my flesh will lust after more. It is just who my flesh is. When I put fuel in my flesh that feeds my flesh, it will take me further. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. You have two battling against you, the flesh and the spirit. You remember that with all these passages that we're doing when I keep saying this is not an issue about alcohol, it's all about an issue about the Spirit of God. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary. means that they don't get along. They will fight, fight, fight all the time. That you would not do the things that you would. They fight you to do what's right. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Notice the word if. means a choice. You shut down the wisdom that God has given you. If you shut down, if you choose to shut down the wisdom that God has given you, then you do give place to the devil. You allow your flesh to manifest the works that your flesh would like to do. You say, what is that? Well, keep reading. Now the works of the flesh are manifested, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envy, murder, and drunkenness. He, he literally said there's going to be a battle going inside of you all the time. Your only hope, let me tell you, your only hope is to walk in the, what is it, church? One more time, to walk in the what? Thank you, we're going to get into that. Let's go back to our passage. And I promise you we're, we're, we're going to start wrapping this up. Let's go back to our passage. The Bible says, wherefore be not unwise. And you know what I think is so ironic about that is because the very doctors define this as taking the first step to losing wisdom. Be not unwise. 
but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. God is using comparison as alcohol as a controlling agent. To drink in excess or to be drunk means to give over complete control. It means that you lose control or to submit to the control of alcohol. Losing control and submitting to the control of something else is a wonderful thing. If it is the what? Thank you. To drink or to be drunk or any of the things that we've talked about. Let me say, marijuana, drugs, uppers, downers, all have become cheap substitutes for all that God has desired to be in our lives. When the question is asked, why do you drink alcohol? I wanted to know. I thought, let's stop for another. Let's just define this line of why do people, even Christians, let me just say Christians, I know why the world does it. Why do Christians need this? And I thought there's... Is it hydration? No. Is it, uh, is it because we're, we're, we live in a land that there, there are just very few things to choose from? Have you, you, you can even go now to Taco Bell and all these places. They have a machine now that can make up to a thousand variations of your pop. How, how many of you guys have played with that machine? It's a digital pop machine now that you type in your, it's, it's not an option issue. Within, within 25 seconds, 90% of the time, wherever you're at, you can stop at a McDonald's or someplace and get a drink. It can't be that. Why do people drink? Why do they choose this? There are many answers. Some are generic, such as they drink for social reasons, or they drink wine, uh, whatever, for the taste of it or whatever. But getting deeper into it, the question was asked among people asking, why do they drink? But the motive for alcohol is for the effects of alcohol. That's why people say, I need a beer. I need this. I can't wait to have a glass of wine. They come home and say, pour me a glass or whatever. That's the thing. Allow me to illustrate. Josh, if you want to go ahead and start, and I'm going to walk you through this one, okay? I'm no brain surgeon, but I'm going to teach you something right here, okay? Your brain was created. That Every aspect of your brain has these channels that go through it, Okay? These channels inside of it have these connectors, these things that let the information pass from one point of your brain to the other. It's like the guardian that stands there right there. When your brain is working fine, it allows it to go through, and that's how we think. That's how we process. That's how I'm having a bad day, I'm broke, and at the end of the day, I'm still having a bad day and I'm broke. Alcohol, from the very beginning of it, begins to alter those channels in your brain, the gateway to your brain. They stand in there and begin to shut down the pathways to all of a sudden you are not processing like you were once processing, except at random. The more you drink, the more gates are shut up, the less you think. You say, what is the point of that? Why are you illustrating that? What what, what does that have to do with anything? It is this, that the very practical side of why people drink. If you sit there and say, why am I drinking? I mean, explain why. Because when you get home and you had a hard day and you say, I just like to sit down and have a beer, it relaxes me. Can I tell you, that is 100% true. Science proves it. It relaxes you. Do you know why it relaxes you? Because it begins to shut down, be able to slow down. The last doctor said that. And everything begins to slow down. 
That's why you can't drive when you have too much. That's why they're warning. That, that's also why they're trying to change the law right now to change it to 0.05 instead of 0.08. Everything begins to shut down. So all of a sudden, you have a glass of wine. You have this. You have that. That's what makes you happy because all of a sudden, you are not processing your problems anymore. Your brain begins to suppress, begins to shut down, and you're not stressed because your brain's not processing. You're not worried. You're not, you, you could break out with your girlfriend, and all of a sudden, man, I need a drink. I'm going to go get drunk. What? It suppresses your ability to think. And you say, where are you going with this? It is the reason people drink. I'm not talking about getting drunk. We're talking about moderation if you want to go into that world, right? Small amounts of alcohol suppresses the thought patterns. That is the same reason that people overdrink because as it's suppressing to make you feel good and to get it out of your brain, it begins to send messages to your brain that you feel better. It is the same concept, and I'm not paralleling them. It's the, the, the concept of women and chocolate, okay? You feed the brain a certain things. It develops a craving. Your brain is patterned to where it now, when it goes through that, and I've had a rough day at work, and I have a beer, and it, it, it suppresses. It makes me feel good. That sends a signal to the other part of your brain saying, that's what you need. It's what you need. So your body begins to crave. And I just explained to you the mental pride, not just of alcohol, but of everything. That is how we crave things in our life. But alcohol has a stronger effect. Because the very thing that you're craving has a hook inside of it. It has a hook to make you addicted. And that hook for the devil is cast right here. I have not even got to the main part of my message. And don't let that scare you. We're going to get into the part that applies to every one of us here. Not that this always hasn't. People have asked, here was the direct answers that I'm quoting. I'm going to read to you the answers of why people drink. And I hope, this, I, I, hope I can get through this without getting worked up. Helps me to deal with my problems. Makes me feel better. Helps me deal with the pains and stresses and frustrations that I have in my life. They've said things like, it gives me more confidence. I struggle with self-identity and it lifts me up. Gives me a way to escape my troubles. This is how I drown my sorrows. Makes my brain go fuzzy. And I can escape reality for a while. Drinking helps me have a good time. I struggle to have a good time. I don't have joy in my life. Drinking makes me high or happy. How many of you are saved here today? Raise your hand. I'm glad. Can I talk to you for a minute? I am saved. I've been bought with a Christ. I'm set on a rock. It's unshakable rock. I've been given the word of God to lead and guide me and show me 
And every aspect of God's promises lead me to health, safety, and edification. The Bible says in Romans 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world. Talk to me as a Christian. The world's way of thinking or the world's way of dealing with problems. Be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? By the renewing of your what? Why? I'll tell you why. You know why God wants me to not think like the world thinks and process like the world processes and turn to what the world turns to? So be renewed. The spirit of your mind, be renewed of the spirit of your mind. Change the pathways. It's a scientific passage in the Bible. Re program your brain not to run to what the world runs to when it is down and out that ye may prove what is that good let me prove to you what's good you change your way that you think about things I will prove to you God will prove to you what is good not the junk I said, I'll prove to you what's good. I'll tell you, from there to there, you're going to find a lot of heartache. You, you can cross this line and say, this is my line, but I'm going to promise you right now. From here to there, there's a lot of people that have lost their marriages. From there to there, there's a lot of people that have killed kids. From there to there, there's been a lot of rape that has had on. God said, I'm going to reprogram your brain that you can prove what is that good and acceptable in the will of God. The will of God. Wait a minute, I've heard that before. The will of God. Where did we read that before? Oh, man. Wait a minute. Ephesians 5.17. I thought that was about alcohol. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine. We're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's not a passage about alcohol. This is a verse about being filled with the Spirit of God. There are things that control us. And God says, let me give you an illustration of that. There are things. Here's the idea. There are things that people turn to that are absolutely poison. Those things have to be limited because they control you. The Bible describes those things as a poison, like a viper. It strikes like a serpent. It does not edify. It leads to temptation. There's the ability to make you addicted. This is your life. God gave me this. I'm going to show you what God gave me this. I needed God to show me clarification of what he was talking about of moderation. Because I I have pleaded my case five different ways. I'm not going to get drunk. I just need to feel better. I, I have so much stress pain I've got these hurts see them on my face I have no idea what I'm going through I just need I just need a little I know my limits 
does not take away the pain. It does not take away the hurt. But Pastor Tony, it does help me, and it does. It's going to suppress those thoughts to get you to bed tonight. You're going to wake up with those things again. You're going to drive to work and you're going to be miserable. It's okay. I can't wait to get off work. I can't wait to get off work. I just need something. You have no idea. I feel better now. It wears off. Ask the woman at the well. She can tell you. Then I came across a word. And the word is filled. I, I, do you have that up there, Josh? Can you show that? The word filled, the Greek word, means to cram, to level up a hollow, to satisfy, to execute, to fill up, to fulfill, to make full, to fully preach, to perfect or supply. And I thought about that in terms of moderation. God's desire, what is the will of the Lord that ye be filled with the Spirit? Wait a minute. How can I, two controlling substances, two things, to give me peace? Can you go back to the definition? To cram, to level up a hollow, to satisfy, to execute, to, to full. Well, if I want what the will of the Lord is, I have to empty the vessel first because that's a cheap substitute that makes me run back for more. And all it does is one by one begins to alter my thinking. It slowly reprograms my mind that God said he'd reprogram my mind. It slowly begins to cheat me out because you know what? What I should be doing is falling on my knees in prayer but instead I program myself Be filled with the Spirit. That's the will of the Lord. Can I tell you? Jesus told the woman at the will, you'll never thirst again because I satisfy. How can you be filled with something unless you're emptied of everything else. When you figure that out, then come tell me about moderation. Now for the best part of the message. I got into this, and I thought, woohoo! This is what I have. When I am down and out, when I'm going through a hard time, when I am hitting, when, I, when I'm at work and I'm down and out, and I'm thinking, you know what I need to run to? I need to run to Jesus. And, and here's the thing. When I get to Jesus, there are no limits. He said, I will be the peace that passeth all understanding. 
That will let you down. You'll have to come back to that. I will be that picks you up. I will carry you through. I'll be your peace in the midst of the valley. I'll lift you up. I'll be your rock. I'll be your high tower. You sit there and say, well, I'm, I'm worried. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to overdo it. All you're going to run into is peace and fulfillment. You can't overdo Jesus. And everything that the devil has masked that to be is a substitute for this. Everything that we turn to saying, I'm down and out. I'm just facing something. I just need to get away for a little bit. Jesus said, cast your care upon me for I care for you. Why do we have so much misery in here? Because we've been hoodwinked by the devil. And I'll label that hoodwinked as moderation. And you can sit there and go, oh, la, la, I'd be glad to sit and talk to you. But in order for you to do that, you're going to have to show me how this doesn't add up. <laughs> 